Welcome to this podcast recording from the 2022 POD, Partnership Opportunities in Drug Delivery Conference. The POD Conference is produced by the Conference Forum. For more information, please visit podconference.com. Enjoy the podcast recording from POD 2022. I'm going to ask this esteemed panel to introduce themselves, maybe starting with you, Michael. Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Michael Schmidt. I work for Pfizer, and I lead the clinical manufacturing uh, group in drug product. Uh, I've been uh, with uh, Pfizer and Legacy Companies for over 23 years, and I'm really happy to be here. Thank you. Uh, Cornell Stammeren, VP of Strategy for Catalan, a global CDMO and technology provider. Hi. My name is Satya. Happy to be here. Uh, I'm from Amgen. I'm uh, one year old at Amgen. I'm uh, leading the biologics team in uh, drug product technologies. Prior to joining Amgen, I was at Janssen and uh, Beringer Ingelheim. And this particular topic is very close to my heart. Looking forward to it. Uh, hello, everyone. My name is Julia Rajbastab. It's such a pleasure to be here and share this panel with my former colleagues from Pfizer and and colleagues that we've sat on so many panels. I'm VP of R&D and Alliance Management at Phosphorx. I have been here for five years, and before that, um, at Pfizer. Uh, Phosphorx is a small CDMO, and we are very fortunate. Recently, we took significant investment, and we're going to increase significantly capability in particle-based technologies, and we're doing the development, formulation, analytics, and we're going to be building manufacturing capacity. Thank you, everyone. Um, so let me start off with the first question, and uh, let's not fight over the microphone, but since uh, either Satya or Michael, both of you have the mic, maybe you guys could take a first stab at it. So as we see um, the pipeline um, being filled with more and more complex modalities, what are, we, what are you guys hearing from your stakeholders about uh, the needed capabilities you know, for addressing some of these new modalities? So I can take a first pass at that. I mean, thank you. Uh, one of the things that, that's really striking to me is how much things have changed uh, in the past few years. Um, you know, we, we had standard technologies uh, in the past, and they're very different from what the majority of our work is in the future. Um, but more than that, it seems like we are pivoting between different technologies very quickly. Um, so a lot of what I'm hearing in the direction that, that I feel is, is the uh, industry is going and talking to a lot of people, that, that seems to be um, you know, emphasized, is the ability to do lots of different things and then quickly understand how you can take on new capabilities and be flexible going back and forth between those. So just uh, flexibility in your, uh, uh, you know, the facilities is, is being uh, really key here. The facilities, the changeover, uh, and how quickly you can pivot between those. So in the past, there, there might have been a process that would take a long amount of time to switch from one type of process to another. So where we can be more quick at doing that changeover and be able to toggle between that, that's given us a, a tremendous uh, benefit. Yeah, I, I can definitely take that too. So different different modalities, like there are a lot out there. Uh, I want to focus on multi-specifics, like the bi-specifics ones. 
Um, especially, I'm in pre-pivotal, the process development space. Uh, so I'm 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 working very closely with my research teams uh, because if you if you take there are like according to the current statistics there are like close to 114 bispecifics which are being considered in 250 clinical trials. That's amazing. That's amazing. But however. 75% are destined to fail, unfortunately. Only 25% really goes to the marketing stage. And that's because of multiple reasons, but one of the key reasons is also because of the poor intrinsic properties of the molecules itself. So what is very important for research is to partner very early on with the process development in order to avoid those manufacturing complexities. Flexibility is one thing, but also to really early partnership to understand what is coming, what are the properties of these molecules? Can that be scalable? Can we be very successful in manufacturing instead of wasting time and energy uh, with a suboptimal molecule? Because what you are seeing in a 500 microliter Ependorf tube is different when you go to a 2,000 liter scale. So that is very important in my mind. So, so early uh, assessment of uh, ability to manufacture. Absolutely. Julia, please. Thank you. I'll just echo what uh, Mike and has said, first on flexibility, and of course it's impossible to answer without addressing the change. It's a sea change. It's not incremental improvement. Uh, three years ago, the new modality horrified people, right? Uh, talking about nanoparticles and everything right now, remember it took us like 20 years to accept monoclonal antibodies. Here, everything accelerated. Uh, a little bit on what Satya said, um, we, we are CDMOs, so we work with a lot of biotechs. And what amazed me is how quickly biotechs can move into the clinic. So it's speed, flexibility, without losing on quality. So we're living in a different world right now. We need to be able to progress much quicker on the budget, keeping Obviously, we're going to the clinic, so we have responsibility to our patients without losing the quality. Uh, I think the other challenge, so we've talked about flexibility in a couple of ways, you know, thinking about multiple modalities perhaps within a facility or, or whatnot. But we also have um, scalability issues. Um, you know, if you're talking about gene therapy, you may be talking about an ultra-rare, you know, um, um, scale product or a, a much larger scale product and how you build, how you construct suites, how you equip suites, how you recruit people, how you train people to support both of those scales is, is challenging. And especially when you have technology that's manufacturing, bioprocessing technology that's trying to keep up with all of these changes too. So, uh, so there are a lot of different moving parts here um, and trying to get them all aligned adds to that complexity way over and above the, the, the fundamental product development process scale up and other factors. No, just, just remembered my favorite quote, never waste your pure thoughts on an impure protein. <laughs> start with a very high quality molecule, your manufacturing will be easier. Don't start with a suboptimal molecule and expect the formulation team to fix it. Yeah. That's I, I not wanna, how it works and that's not how it should work. 
Yeah, no, I completely agree. But we always we don't always have that luxury, right? So, I mean, at, at Pfizer, we have a lot of homegrown products, and we partner with a lot of people. And you know, a lot of things that we get in aren't necessarily what we would do ourselves, and we have to find ways to to deal with that. And, but but I do think that having that emphasis and doing it when you can is critically important. It'll pay dividends. So, just another follow up question. I think Cornell, you talked about um, challenges in terms of you know, having people do large-scale and small-scale within the same facility. Are you thinking about different strategies in terms of recruiting people in your facilities? You know, are there certain new skill sets that you're looking at? How are you, uh, you know, is there any different approach you're taking in terms of recruiting talent? Sure. So if you think about the the research side, I think those are, you know, well understood. Uh, but if you think about manufacturing, um, for new modalities, um, most of the, the training programs, the university programs, aren't really well designed for operators. So, um, so, um, so quite often for you know gene therapy or cell therapy, you may be needing to recruit PhDs, you know, to um, or, or masters. You know, folks to run uh, operations, and that's not ideal for them or for you know sustainable long-term you know sustainability of 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 that. And there's also a shortage of that type of candidate too. Uh, so you know, the need to develop workforce uh, workforce um, workforces that are trained for operating those those types of processes and equipment is is critical. So. Yeah, I mean, I can certainly, you know, um, relate to what Pfizer, you know, within Pfizer, we've seen that this has really, I mean, not that we were not connected with manufacturing, but this has really fostered new connections and uh, a lot of uh, new collaborations between the development colleagues and the manufacturing colleagues. And, you know, that is very essential to get things right first time because, you know, A, you're limited with material, you have limited timelines. You want to make it right first time. And so, you know, it, it does matter. The, you need the right skill sets, which may not be existing in, you know, either uh, side. So having that collaboration has been very useful. Um, kind of switching the, 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 you know, maybe looking at this from an um, innovator perspective, right? Um, Michael and Satya, you know, as the portfolios of each of your companies and pharma is evolving, you know, you're being asked to do newer things, novel things, increase capacity. You know, at some point you need to step back and say, okay, what do I develop internally versus what do I outsource or leverage the external environment for? So how are you making those decisions? You know, how will you go about that? What's your thought process behind that? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so two, two examples are coming to my mind. One is very recent, uh, our involvement in mRNA LNP, uh, very early stage. For that, as you said, the skill set, the tool set, everything is like very, very at the early stage. And we started to build that and we are definitely looking for partnerships there because speed to patients is always in mind. We don't have time there to really start building that internally. The, uh, so and. People have talked enough about LNPs for the past two days, so I'm going to skip that. I'm going to go to the other topic, which is very recently we started also doing a diagnostic tool uh, for a prostate cancer, uh, which is very recently there are a couple of PSMA-based 
uh, companion diagnostic tool. There is a copper 64 Dota date, which all got FDA approved. Uh, for very recently, we started doing it. And then when we started building that, we spent hours on actually a whiteboard starting to like what type of format, what we have to do, can we build this internally? Uh, especially the component where it comes is that radio labeling part because it's an imaging agent that we are looking for, for which there is zero expertise within Amgen. So we are actually have to, we have to partner outside. But the initial phase is something that we are going to build it internally, and then we are also in parallel looking for CROs to actually help us with that radio labeling and taking it to the patients. Uh, so the strategy here is also the management support, which is very, very important to do it internally. It's like a hybrid approach that we are doing. The support is what is very important from the management to understand and to put the resources so that we can set the precedence for the upcoming programs. That's, that's my experience. Yeah, and, and I think a lot of those uh, similar themes are, are things that, that uh, we um, struggle with and, and try to process as part of this. Um, you know, with something that, that's new, uh, there's an evaluation of where that is in the pipeline, right? So if it's early stage and it's more exploratory, it might be a, a big burden to bring that internally, and to do that internally it might be, make more sense to use a, uh, a CMO that already has that capability. Um, but that said, in a lot of cases, there may be CMOs that, that have something similar to it, but not exactly right. It might make sense to invest early on. So they're all unique conversations. There's not one size that fits all with that. Um, but you know, we're very focused on investing the right amount at the right stage, right? So when we find something, we'll invest where appropriate, and then we'll have various gates. And if we meet those gates, then we'll decide to invest more until we get to the point that we're, we're typically internalizing things. And I think the other piece is, in a lot of cases, it's easier for us to manage things internally than work with CMOs. There's a level of complexity working with CMOs, so we might want that level of control, whether that's um, the, you know, from a quality standpoint or the technology, some IP, uh, or the speed. We might be able to, to release and control something quicker. I can add really quickly from the other side. Um, we work a lot with the large pharma uh, let's say screening for LNP, not because they don't have this expertise, because no one has resources to do everything internally. So they use us as an extension of their resources, and we're complementary. So, so Cornell, I mean, turning to you as the VP for strategy for Catland, which is one of the largest CMOs in the world, uh, also making commercial supplies, you know, you need to be ready for the next wave, right? You need to be prepared. You can't set up facilities once the companies are ready to start manufacturing. You need to be ahead of them. So how do you, how do you address those? How do you bridge that gap? So I think, like, uh, like Michael said, some of it is picking the right time uh, for these kinds of investments. You know, we do spend a lot of time first talking to customers uh, and understanding where, you know, their pipelines, their needs are at and are expected to go. Uh, we also spend a lot of time looking at pipelines um, and, uh, you know, looking at the almost 20,000 active pipelines, small and large molecule, and trying to understand how those needs are evolving, you know, which new modalities are reaching some sort of critical mass in preclinical stages or starting to reach the clinic. Um, and, um, and, and then also trying to assess between modalities, you know, what might be the effect if one 
more disruptive modality succeeds for a specific target area. You know, what might that do to others? So, um, And then going all the way back to that scalability point, there's also one other challenge, which, you know, some of our customers have felt partnering externally helps with, if you think about gene therapy and curative gene therapies, you know, especially in a limited patient populations, um, you may have a bolus of demand that lasts for a few years is treating all the unmet, you know, the patients that are currently in scope, and then it may uh, fall to more of an incidence level, uh, a new incidence level, and, um, you know, constructing uh, dedicated capacity for products, you know, in-house to support that may or may not, depending on what else your pipeline contains, you know, um, may um, complicate things further. So, um, And then uh, also, you know, coming back to people, and expertise and regulatory expertise, you know, gaining that regulatory expertise and that proven, yes, we can scale something up, you know, we can get to, a, you know, first CDMO gene therapy approval for us, um, you know, is, is a lot of work and, and it's, it's earned and we learn a lot from it and then our you know, customers benefit from that. So, so we think that, you know, adds value. But we do spend a lot of time talking to customers, looking at pipelines, trying to figure out what's next and when. So getting the timing right is critical. Thanks, Cornell. Um, so, you know, the, we all experienced COVID firsthand, right? Each one of us individually, personally was impacted directly uh, and, you know, we all probably know someone close by who was impacted very severely with COVID. Um, and then this whole vaccine development, the maps that came out, the diagnostics that came out. So what has really, what, what has COVID really taught us about speed, flexibility and redundancies in supply chain? You know, what are the learnings that, you know, as pharma, as CMOs, as CDMOs, you know, what, what do you take away from this whole experience in terms of, you know, speed, flexibility, and redundancies, and how the supply chain needs to be for, you know, going forward. So I can take a first pass at that. So, uh, Julie, you mentioned um, earlier that everything's changed, right? And I think everyone acknowledges that we're in a very different spot than we were before the pandemic. Um, and not all of it is bad. You know, you know, we, we, we're kind of sitting back now and reflecting over all of this, and it's been going so fast, it's, it's hard to do that at times. Um, but we've learned so much and learned what we can do, and we never would have been challenged the way that we have been if the pandemic didn't happen. Um, so that looks at how we're, we're doing work, how we're managing our workforce, where we're having flexibility with staffing, and how we balance working in person and working remote. And, you know, it, it's not always easy, right? And there are going to be missteps along the way with that. Um, in, in terms of the speed, we've, we've proven that we can do things very differently than we've done in the past and that that's acceptable. We can do it in a compliant way. We can do it at high quality. Um, and then on supply chain, I mean, supply chains have been messed up for so long um, on almost every level, everyone I talk to, whether it's in pharma or anywhere, you know, whether you buy a car or get a, you know, a chip so you can't get a washing machine, all this stuff. Um, so that makes us having to be flexible on another way with like, um, you know, using single use components versus stainless steel, 
um, and just looking at things differently. So, you know, in the past, as an example, I would have a very bespoke um, filter assembly that I can't use anymore. So I've got to come up with some way to make something else work, which is not easy. But, you know, if I don't do that and I have an 18-month lead time, then I'm not going to make a product which people critically need. So we figure ways to get it done. It's just giving us more opportunities to be creative. Um, certainly the um, interdependence for bioprocessing and other supplies uh, across global regions, you know, was, um, I'll say, uh, excessively highlighted, maybe. Um, but even for simple, you know, so not just talking about biologics, but even, you know, the interdependence of, you know, building block chemicals and molecules across regions, and the way some countries responded to that by preventing export and things, you know, really displayed some of the, the, the weak links of the, the chain. Um, so, uh, so there's that. Second, I agree, you know, we learned that some things we can do, whether it's developing things, adding capacity for drug product, you know, injectable products or other things, we can move faster. But also, not all of those are sustainable. You know, so, so you can run really fast for a long time, but then something breaks. <laughs> you know, your, your people need, need, you know, your people need recovery. I mean, you, you can speak to this directly. You know, so, um, so finding a way to make some of these changes sustainable um, from an operating standpoint, I think, is critical. Um, too. So, so, yeah, COVID, um, COVID nineteen, which is like I'm, I'm just thinking. It really like taught us that we are all patients too. We were all each of us looking for that vaccine, every single one of us. And thanks to Pfizer, Madonna, BioNTech, J and J. Uh, and that fast to patients literally taught us what we have to like speed up in our process. And also the whole LNP started actually from this whole COVID-19 vaccine. So I'm, I'm actually taking that as a great opportunity to learn that, how we have to be very agile, adaptable, and quick to patients, but with the quality mindset. We can't actually overlook that. That is very important because we all were ag wanting that vaccine. Um, so that, that's what COVID has taught us, and uh, I appreciate the support from our management to now invest in LNPs as well, which we are all learning. That's a great opportunity for us. So, yeah. um, Just to sum it up, the first one, I think for particle-based technology, this is a silver lining, and it's a validation of the technology. We don't want to say that. That's not what uh, we ordered. But really, advancement in this field is unprecedented. The second one, I'm not going to beat on this. Nick so eloquently did it in his fire chat this morning about the speed. Um, People who work in the field, we're all professionals. No one thought it's humanly possible, but it is. So thank you to Pfizer, Moderna, and Bionet. Amazing. The third thing we didn't touch a little bit, it completely changed the ecosystem, right? We're so used to work in the field where there is, like, competitors and there is supply chain. In this situation, everyone came together. 
right? GNGA manufactured, um, helped the manufacture the field. It's like when there is unprecedented situation, we can, as, a, as an industry, we can do a lot of things. Um, and also training the workforce. I think a lot of people trained and retrained, and we helped a um, number of companies to do on some individual steps, so there was a lot of creativity, so many lessons learned. Yeah, if I may add to that, right, I feel, uh, you know, uh, pharma has always um, been a multidisciplinary um, field, right? Uh, as a company, even in Pfizer, in our formulation group, we hire people with a biology degree, chemistry degree, you know, chemical engineering degree, pharmacy degree. So it's it's just making sure that, you know, you always have diversity of skill sets because you never know when your next big challenge is going to be. And if you only hire people with the same skill sets, then you're obviously going to start off with a disadvantage. So I think, you know, that certainly is something that we have taken away, you know, very seriously is that we need to build a diversity in our, in our uh, group and not just diversity, you know, in, in all aspects because it just helps be, make us um, much more stronger. Um, I know we, we still have about five minutes left, so I'm going to see if there are any questions from the audience at this time. I know this is not a shy group, and I know some of you, so. Oh, there we go. We have a brave soul here. Thank you. Somebody had to break the ice, right? <laughs> um, I think it's a question for panel in general, but uh, the lessons learned from COVID vaccine perspective. Uh, it's not something that you can do all in-house. Um, but at, at the same time, there's a complexity involved and there's a speed involved in the overall development and commercialization. So if you can tell more about, from Pfizer point of view, how you collaborated with the CDMOs or the CROs, uh, delivering <coughs> the knowledge and the technology to make a complex product at the CDMOs, and maybe Cornell, if you can add from your side, uh, the CDMO mindset in, in, in that whole development and taking a complex delivery technology in-house. Yeah, so I think, you know, we, we had to um, pull every feather out of our hat, right, when we were talking about billions of doses. So we completely exhausted our internal capabilities and capacity with respect to manufacturing, and then we had to tap outside as well because we knew we didn't have the capacity internally. Um, the, the way we had designed our equipment, and Nick talked about that in the morning, a scale-out approach that we had taken allowed us to be very nimble with and agile with our um, uh, tech transfer. So there was not a whole lot of uh, training or startup time that was required. You know, we could ship the piece of the big piece, the big skid, and you know, send a couple of engineers or even remotely, uh, you know, through video conferencing, access that and do a tech transfer that way. So we did leverage, you know, technology in in that manner and sort of had the foresight. I don't know if it was planned or not, but you know, the fact that the way we designed our skid allowed us to have minimal um, in-person interactions during the tech transfer, which again was a problem because people weren't flying back and forth during the COVID pandemic. I think Cornell probably also has a few insights there because 
you guys played a big role. Sure. So, uh, so I would say, you know, two things uh, come to mind. Number one, you know, always looking ahead and trying to figure out what's going to come next sometimes means that you then have have capacity in the pipeline, you know, that's being built or being shipped or being, you know, installed or validated. So, you know, as soon as as soon as you know original uh, uh, you know signs of vaccine development happened, we reached out and said, "Okay, we're we're ready. How can we help?" And began those dialogues with uh, the the various vaccine developers. At the same time, we were um, bringing capacity in and up, um, and then accelerating other investments um, to do that and building the workforce at the same time. So a lot of moving parts, uh, but uh, fortunately, um, you know, we were able to, to work with our, with our customers and deliver. So, Any other questions? Oh. Hi. Um, very interesting. Thank you. The hand-in-hand uh, -hand with manufacturing, obviously, is the characterization of the final product. And as the products get more and more complex, the characterization, the regulatory framework, the quality issues, um, can you talk a little bit about how that dovetails in, perhaps, with the development of these complex products? So um, I think uh, we, you know, there is, there is a lot of learning there in terms of trying to address, um, you know, just trying to characterize new modalities. So this involved a lot of dialogue with the regulatory authorities, you know, different various of the um, various countries, just to understand what the expectations were and what we could deliver in the time and what we had to make commitments to deliver after the approval uh, authorization. So I know we are running out of time, but there is, there is more. I mean, if we can chat later offline, I would be happy to chat more in detail. But I'd like to take this opportunity to thank the panelists and uh, if you could join me in thanking them. We hope you enjoyed this podcast recording from The Pod, Partnership Opportunities in Drug Delivery 2022 Conference. For more information, please visit podconference.com.